Hello, hello, hello! You're listening to Big Easy Ideas, a podcast that features live recordings from New Orleans Entrepreneur Week and builds connections at the intersection of innovation and culture. New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, or NOE as the locals like to call it, is an annual event across the city of New Orleans every March and is a celebration of startups, innovation, entrepreneurship, and what's next. Learn more and check out ways to get involved at neworleansentrepreneurweek.org or noew.org. And now, on to today's episode. Hey there, I'm Ella, strategist at Google, back with another episode of Big Easy Ideas. I'm excited to share this awesome episode with you, SaaS Without Borders. This episode will cover a conversation about the global SaaS market with Stephen Morrill of Juristeed and Sam Bruner from Spot Tonight. You'll hear these two ditch the legalese and dive into the nitty gritty of crafting contracts that can handle the legal twists and turns of different states and countries. Lara Sevener, partner at Jones Walker, will moderate this conversation as our resident SaaS legal expert. Throughout this conversation with our founders, she'll unveil the secrets of contract drafting that will make your SaaS business move across borders with ease. And along the way, she'll uncover the role of local legal counsel in ensuring you stay on the right side of the regulatory law. Hope you enjoy and stay tuned for more conversations like these on Big Easy Ideas. Good morning. I'm Laura Sevener. I'm a partner at Jones Walker, and I specialize in technology law, commercial contracting, technology, and privacy law. And I am so glad to be here today with two of our firm's clients, Sam and Stephen, who both have um, amazing stories. And so both are at different stages of growth in their SaaS companies. We were talking earlier today and, and kind of asked about each of them about their aha moment and sort of what their vision was and where they are in their stage of growth as a SaaS company. Both of them had great stories, so I think it'd be a great context for some of the things we're discussing today if they tell us a little bit each about their companies. So, who wants to start? All right, I'll start. It's uh, Stephen Morrell. I'm the founder and CEO of Juristeed. We're in the, the current VillageX cohort. We're very lucky to be selected to be one of the few. And what our company is doing is digitally transforming the very paper and manual process that fuels real estate transactions. So it's very relevant for something that's typically thought of as borders with silos of county records from one county to the next. So that's what we're doing and trying to do to get off the ground. And so a little bit too about sort of what solution you're, you're trying to bring to market in your company. In order for you know, real estate to transfer, you need to have both a picture of the history of that property as well as the current whereabouts of the interests in real estate, all the owners and lien holders, et cetera. And then for a typical real estate transaction, that's not really a problem, uh, is making sure that you know who all the owners are. But that's not the case with distressed real estate, where typically you don't know where all the owners are, and that property can get stuck out of commerce for decades. And of course, we lived through that with Hurricane Katrina. And, 
you know, the whole city evacuated and nobody left. This is where I'm evacuating to card with the assessor's office when they bolted out of town the weekend before. And so it's a problem across the country of actually getting these properties returned to commerce, not just clearing the title, but actually literally locating ownership so you can move it back. And so this has been a very, very paper manual process for the practitioners, real estate attorneys and title insurance companies and even investors who really want to take a part in all this, but they can't if they can't move the property. And so what we're doing is, is actually tying into recently available data sources and, and connecting with where owners are located relative to the property history to enable this to happen at a much greater pace and more with more success, freeing up a lot of this real estate to be a more of a productive asset in the community rather than an eyesore and, and a detractor. Sam Bruner, Spot Tonight. Thanks, Laura, for having us up here. So a quick little background, co-founder, COO of Spot Tonight. We're an online travel agency, or OTA. We specifically cater to campgrounds, RV campgrounds specifically. We found our mission and our passion is to ultimately link as many campgrounds onto one similar platform, allowing us to book real time and presenting a common booking operating system for folks looking to experience the outdoors. We started two and a half years ago. We were a couple cohorts back through Idea Village, and our business model has kind of consistently morphed into a couple of different product lines. But ultimately, this month, we're maybe just a couple months ahead in terms of scaling. We'll do close to 13 to 1400 nights this month. And uh, we've had an opportunity to work with some really wonderful partners in terms of delivering a, a distribution model that we saw an opportunity and gap within the market. So kind of similar within the, the SaaS without borders here. Awesome. I think both of you mentioned some things that are really interesting there. And I, I know the audience is probably familiar with SaaS, but um, SaaS is, you know, software as a service. Um, often you hear X as a service or platform as a service. It's really anything that used to be something that was, you know, software, you would have a license, it would be installed on premise, it would have a single user in many cases, and the terms could be very bespoke to the person using it. Software as a service, obviously, is scaling. So it's the idea that you don't have to be at your desktop, the software is readily accessible to you anywhere. And it's really that you, to, to the people that it's accessible to, is sort of undefined, right? It's, it's the user, and, and it changes whether you're B2B or B2C, and sometimes you can be both. Sam and I were talking about that. So I think the notion of scaling and rapid scaling is really, really core to a SaaS business model because it's made to scale and to rapidly scale. And so we've talked a lot about kind of what some of the challenges are, but when you do rapidly scale and you're in later stages of growth, and also when you're in earlier stages, sort of how to be really intentional about some of the things. Obviously, I think about it from a contract perspective, from a data privacy perspective, other legal type issues, but really there are a lot of issues that come as you scale. And so I'm curious to hear sort of both of your experiences sort of as you think about operationalizing and, and rapidly scaling your business. I think it's incredibly important. I know one of, we'll say, the gaps on our founding team was obviously having some legal counsel. So full disclosure, Jones Walker is actually helping us close our round today. So we're super excited about that and, and Adam at Assar. However, Phelps and Dunbar actually helped us put together our contracts with a couple of distribution partners, which uh, one being Camping World and then a second being Reserve America, two really large recognized brands that uh, we were fortunate to work with. 
And I think what we learned very quickly is we knew from a product standpoint what we wanted to deliver, what we could deliver, but had to fall back on what should the contract look like? What should the SLA look like? What should we include? What is market? And, you know, operating with those two individual entities, we had you know, not that much leverage because <laughs> they're obviously a lot bigger than us. So it was kind of an interesting perspective to obviously have our legal counsel help us work through what we should uh, place within, you know, the contracts to make sure that we're protected, not only for right now when we're just starting in this distribution model, but what this looks like five years from now, 10 years from now, and making sure that those contracts set a, a core base for us to then grab back some of that leverage throughout our partnership. So I think there were some things that we unequivocally were naive about, but it was certainly a learning experience. And we had, you know, exceptional legal counsel to help us not only set the base of the contract, but also help us negotiate through that contract as well. So for us to talk about scale, it's a matter of what stage of business you're at. And, you know, for us recognizing where we are is we want to get there. And so as startups, you're taking from an idea out of your head onto a whiteboard, eventually a team, and, and eventually something that you can start testing a theory and stress testing assumptions of a business solution to a, a problem and who wants to buy it and everything. And you know, when we talk about scale is something that we're working to eventually get to. So right now we're strategizing with ourselves and our mentors and advisors and legal counsel what we need to do so that we can get to scale is product market fit, and of course, and then before that is, is really just stress testing ideas that can be a solution. But for in real estate, of course, it's everywhere. And you know, if we're really going to have a real estate-based data company that's going to scale, we have to get out of our borders, right? We got to get out of Orleans Parish and then Louisiana and then the Southeast. But as you might guess, records and history of real estate is very silent, right? We're talking about at the county level, not states or countries. And so, you know, for us to break through that in an industry that is still digitizing that information as we're speaking. So we're jumping into the middle of it saying, you know, well, where are we now? How can we affect this business with this idea and bring it to market, that marketplace being the nation, when the records that we need to get a hold of, the information about the history of property in Orange County, Florida, or Jackson County, Missouri, or Bienville Parish, Louisiana, is very, very different than what we can actually access. And how do we standardize that and be able to say, this is our product, this is a, a one thing we offer to this industry, but it's very different what we can uh, actually achieve given the location that we're taking from. So for us, scale means really understanding the landscape of where we're trying to affect county by county. And of course, that's gonna be different for different companies, but for us, it's a massive undertaking to then really appreciate at the, at the individual data point level what's available to us to work with to bring to market. I think you both really touched on some interesting things there. I mean, we could go in so many different directions. You sort of talked about market and SLAs and users being in, in different locations. I think one thing that is interesting to me is kind of your focus on being intentional about what you want to do before you before you do scale because we were sort of joking ahead of time that once it goes it goes and it can be it can be tough to do some of these things in reverse and so the dynamicism of the SaaS model is you know you talked about some of your business partners your your critical alliances and partnerships i think it's really important to focus on those agreements clearly whoever your audience is your end users whether those are other businesses then you will have a very different ask with respect to sort of 
the terms that enterprise customers will be looking for from you, as opposed to if individuals are your end users, you know, and then you have different considerations. We talked about you have to understand what laws will apply to the goods and service that you're offering, really. Top of mind, you mentioned data, Stephen, and I think, you know, I'm always sort of issue spotting for data, security, privacy. As you do scale and you have end users in other locations, I think you have to always be mindful of, you know, when you're a SaaS business, oftentimes you have to comply with laws that wouldn't apply to you where you are located, but apply to you by virtue of where your users are located. So things like privacy compliance in California and other places. So there's a lot to unpack there, I guess. But one of the things that we talked about too is sort of the without borders. And I'm touching on some of the cons, but there's so many pros about offering your platform kind of without borders and being so accessible. And I'd like for both of you to speak a little bit about how your solutions opened up things to people who previously couldn't access them. And now, you know, any end user sitting at home on, on their phone can, can do something that used to be very limited to a certain set of people. Yeah, I'll take that one first. In the realm of real estate, you imagine if you were to be interested in going and getting information about a portfolio of real estate, whether you're an investor or you're a mortgage service company or a title insurance company, wherever your interest is, and it, your real estate portfolio happened to transcend across the southeast of Louisiana, and you were in St. Tammany and Tangipahoa and Livingston and Baton Rouge Parish, well, you would have to get in your car or hire someone to get in your car and get the St. Tammany information over in Covington, and then finish that, and then get back in your car and drive down I-12 and get into you know Hammond, and then get back in your car. You see where I'm going with this. And eventually, of course, the technology of scanning came to, to fruition, and it's, uh, I'm laughing about it because that's really the latest, that's where it's kind of left off, is you know county clerks have scanned in records and have saved us from driving from courthouse to courthouse by going to each of their web portals one at a time. So you know, having it consolidated into one portal where it's, hey, all this is information, it's all data, and as long as it becomes digitized, then now we can make, you know, consolidate and have it all in one place. But going from driving from place to place to having a single place to get it from the comfort of your home, I mean, I think that's the digital transformation that, that we're trying to affect and how borders become transcended through a SaaS company. Yeah, and I might add to that from a perspective of, you know, when we're scaling. I mean, we're early in our scaling process here. But when we think about, at first it was how many reservations can we place in Florida, Texas, and California, right? And now it's how many reservations can we place across the nation and in Canada. And when we were kind of determining what's an acceptable business risk to a certain extent is how much is this actually going to affect the business? And I think going back to understanding and and maybe you know, having individuals around you, other founding team members that kind of push you because I'm very much in what's happening today and maybe tomorrow, but should we be thinking about two years from now when this is fully scaled out, when there's thousands of reservations being placed at each state and what are some of the considerations, you know, for us in the B2C of we're actually transacting that, we're taking the credit card information, we're placing the reservation, so PCI compliance, obviously that varies from state to state and the impact of that of us doing business in a particular state, you know, can be quite daunting. It's obviously a good problem to have, but I think where we were able to kind of think through of, okay, what is the roadmap? How is this moving forward and and making sure that you've got the legal structure and also the team to help support the growth in those particular states for us. And we were kind of talking about it earlier, you know, a next step for us naturally, just how we've operated with some of the property management systems, 
there's a high concentration in Australia. Um, so that's something that's on our roadmap. Um, it's a slightly different market, caravan instead of RVing, but there's a very high saturation point there. And so we're constantly in the back of my mind saying, okay, I need to sit down. I need to learn more about this individual market understand the complexities, not only from a compliance standpoint on B2C, but also B2B. And so I think, you know, it, it does come down to a little bit of assessing what business risk is. I mean, then from there saying this is really happening and make sure you've got the team to execute it very rapidly to make sure that you've got everything covered. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that one thing that comes through as you both speak is sort of the iterative nature of SaaS, right? And of business as a whole. I mean, you're constantly building the plane as you fly it would be one way to look at it, but also just iterating over time and improving and growing and changing. And I think it's important to think of your contracts and your terms of use and your compliance and all of those things also as kind of living, breathing documents, right? If you change something operationally, if you expand, if you move into a different jurisdiction, then you need to be having little health checks and thinking, okay, do my terms of use fit for what I'm doing now? Um, have I changed something that I might need to now modify something contractually? And hopefully on the flip side, as you grow, you have more leverage. And so when you do go to those business partners for your renewal discussions, hopefully you'll have a bit more weight to throw around and get better SLAs or better terms as you grow. We talked a little bit about kind of looking back and thinking, you know, if you could give yourself a piece of advice a few years ago or earlier on in your development as a company, what would you tell yourself? And also, um, is there anything that you would do differently or, or advise some of the growing businesses in the audience? Absolutely, there are things I would do differently. <laughs> like going back to the earlier stage, I would say for anybody, because we're still early stage, I would go back and say to our founding team, if no one ever lost belief from like a product standpoint of what we're doing, but just realize that it takes a little bit longer than what you expect and you know, be a little bit more lenient on your individual self, our team. So that would be something I would say, go back and just understand that it does take time maybe a little bit longer in time in the essence of two and a half years from when we started the company. So I'd say a little bit of, you know, obviously not losing any of the tenacity by any stretch of the imagination in the push, but understand that good things take time. And then something we would have done different is I would say just talking to customers more. I think that's just generally at the top of our list of just engaging more with not only individuals that are consuming our product, but B2B businesses that are utilizing us because I think having that constant loop just as much as you possibly can is incredibly important. And then secondly, I think understanding, you know, the ability to work with other larger companies maybe earlier. I could sit here to sit today and say, you know, we probably could have presented the same amount of value, if not uh, of equivalent, you know, maybe six months, a year ago to say some of our distribution partners that might have accelerated our growth a little bit quicker from a timing perspective. So maybe, maybe that. And I think shifting to our, our paradigm is where we are in the growth, which is a little earlier than Sam's company, but we've certainly learned a lot since, since starting the journey. What we've become is a, a firm believer in the, the lean methodology. And you've heard lean uh, tossed around in the business ecosystem a lot. And what does that mean? We've learned the hard way what that means is love the problem, not the solution. Don't go create a solution and chase after a problem with a new business. You know, let's understand what the problem is first and then iterate to build a solution that the market actually wants. Because it's very expensive to build solutions. It's not very expensive to learn about problems. 
And that's the way to, I can actually, you can actually create something that will ultimately become successful. And we're still testing out because we haven't made it yet, but we're going about learning the right way to try to get there. There's definitely expensive lessons to learn. And the number one killer of startups is running out of money. Not you didn't have a good idea, not that you didn't have a good, a good team. It's running out of money. And usually the number one reason you run out of money is because you spend it without a plan or you're a solution chasing after a problem. So, you know, the, I would go back and save a few dollars and teach myself to love the problem right at the beginning and not later. And that echoes what something Sam said is, is talking to your customers and talking to the marketplace. That's how you learn what the problem is. And it's really hard for someone like myself who actually came out of being a specialist in the industry that I'm trying to affect. For 15, 20 years, I was a real estate attorney. So I come out of that thinking, not, without an, not necessarily with an ego, but thinking, I know what I'm doing, right? I know what my customers want. I know what the problem is. I know I'm going to go, I'm gonna just go build a solution now. And then get out there and put it in front of them. And they're like, yeah, that's, that looks cool. And that's about it, right? Or you don't want to buy it? Like, no, let's know, let's know how that goes. You know, I'm like, oh, darn, well, I got to go rethink this now, you know? So uh, learning that the hard way and then really say, let me go back out there and say, okay, all right, forget about what I know. Tell me what your problems are. Tell me what your pain points are. Now let's actually go incubate something that could really solve that problem that you would purchase from me. And that was a big lesson learned. One thing I might add to that that just kind of clicked in is as we were scaling, obviously, you know, you're limited resources, right? You're a very lean company. So you're going to have to use either consultants or other firms to help you bring in whatever sort of resource it is. And I would say be overprotective of your brand. We had specifically a marketing firm that said that they were in this sector, brought out everything from the clients that they've worked at for, worked with before. And that was something that it was kind of too good to be true. And we should have taken a step back and maybe vetted a little bit more of some of the services that we were bringing in to represent us. We found out that that very quickly was not the case, that they were not going to be a good partner for us. But to your point, you know, every dollar counts. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, I would love to have those couple thousand dollars back because it didn't certainly help us. So I would just say be overprotective of not only a brand, your team, the individuals that you involve uh, with your company, because it does, it obviously takes a village to put it together, but make sure that it's the right people that are there to help you. And that goes back to contracts as well. So I think that's a great point. And I think one thing that I would say too is don't be afraid to advocate as you are seeking that guidance. I've been so pleased to work with organizations of all sizes at Jens Walker. And I think that when someone is helping you, advising them of what your limitations are. You know, you can take a very different approach to a contract if you're saying, look, I'm just, I'm worried about these three main issues. I want you to tell me if there's any major pitfalls versus, you know, give it the full workup. And I think being able to communicate to your advisors and asking for help and asking people, you referenced market earlier, and I think being able to reach out to people who have seen a lot of different organizations go through things and a lot of different contract negotiations, they can sort of quickly tell you, this is on market, this is off market, here's where you should be focusing your time and energy and sort of here where the um, greatest risks and rewards might be. Thank you guys so much for coming out today and it was great to talk with you. And thank all of you. Thank all of you. Thank you for listening to Big Easy Ideas. Big Easy Ideas is produced by The Idea Village a nonprofit accelerator that supports startups and cultivates entrepreneurial talent in New Orleans and the greater Gulf South region. By visiting ideavillage.org, 
You can learn more about how to turn your idea into a thriving business and how to turn your business into a high-growth startup. You can also learn more about opportunities to invest in startups, ways to mentor, partner, and support local industry-leading companies. You might also find a job in our region's thriving tech and startup community. The idea is, it takes a village. So visit ideavillage.org to explore how to get involved in the Gulf South's rapidly growing entrepreneurial ecosystem. The music for Big Easy Ideas is by the Young Fellas Brass Band from their new album, Block Party, which is available now on all streaming platforms. You can find the Young Fellas Brass Band on the streets of New Orleans and at their website, youngfellasbrassband.com. That's fellas with a Z, young F-E-L-L-A-Z brassband.com. And of course, we want to give a special thank you to all of the sponsors of New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, in addition to the year-round donors and supporters of the Idea Village, who make this work possible and keep this content accessible to all. And finally, thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you down in the Big Easy. Until next time. 